0: As Christians, we we have a message. We have the message that we know called the Gospel. The good news of a God who, as John so succinctly puts it, so loves this world that he gave, that he sent, his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him Should not perish, but have eternal life. I think those were the very first verses of Scripture I ever, ever saw, when I walked into that tent mission all those years ago. The good news, the gospel. This morning, we're looking into verses that I think give us glimpses into something profound, something really special something of that love of God and his engagement with humanity. We hear God so loves this world. God so loves the people of this world. And here we get a bit of a reasoning into that, a bit of that presence and that intensity and that investment of God into the lives of the people that make up planet that we live in, the towns that we live in, the families that we exist in, the workplaces that we go to, verses that speak so powerfully to us as individuals. But I would also say that these verses, they don't just speak into our culture. I would say these verses roar into our culture. They roar into the value and the worth of every single person. For these are verses that ultimately say that God truly is the God, the creator of every single living and breathing person. And because of that, they matter. Fearfully and wonderfully made. I, I love the, those words and, and that's why I made them the, the, the title of the sermon this morning. And I just hope that even if that nothing else sticks with us this morning, what sticks with us is I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And so as every person that I'm going to encounter this coming week without exception, even the most annoying person, even the person that might sit beside you on the bus and eat crisps, <laughs> Still, fearfully, and wonderfully made. Okay? So I want us to have a first We look at God as the creator. Okay? Because this is what is is being poetically expressed in these verses as David continues his reflection on the presence of God. He's reflected first on how God knows him utterly and how God is everywhere. And now he's reflecting on the fact that God is his creator. That God is one who is present even as he is made. I find that phrase knitted together one that's really fascinating because, I don't know if i don't know if I mentioned this right from the outset, but the very first sermon I ever preached was on Psalm 139. It was an evening service at Leslie. It was the most petrified I think I've ever been in my entire life. I've never known terror like it. God met me in that place of fear and got me through it somehow. But I I did a bit of research into it. And actually, when we are are conceived, and you'll be very happy that the kids aren't here at this part, because otherwise there would be some awkward real questions. But what happens is two DNA cores are knitted together. (laughs) They're knitted together, the the combination of the mum and dad. Now... Does David have some sort of prophetic insight into exactly how somebody's conceived? I honestly couldn't say for sure, but I find that a very fascinating connection between what science has discovered, the mystery of, of, of a human life being formed, and also what David is alluding to here. But what we can say, and what is abundantly clear, is that God is present with that person as they are formed and their mother's womb and he somehow of that process and there is something really special about that and when he's speaking about formed in the depths of the earth he isn't trying to create an alternative to the stork theory, you know what you tell your kids when they're young, how did I get here a stork dropped you right?" he's not creating an alternative to that saying well actually you were buried in the ground and you popped up at some point when you were ready like a carrot Okay, what he's talking about here is this place that we as people couldn't see, a place of hiddenness Okay, now we know now of course that we have the technology to actually see into the womb. You can you go for a scan. It's one of the routine things you do. And if you happen to want to, you can go for a 3D scan, which is terrifyingly accurate as to what's going on in there. Okay, spookily so in some senses. But what, he, what, it's, what he's telling us is that none of this is hidden. It's all clear to God. God is there. And he is attentive to what's going on. And it gets into this place where he recognizes that he is fearfully and wonderfully made, which for David who is one who just seems to encounter challenge after challenge after challenge after challenge in his life. Some of them self-made, others just situational. Recognizing this helps him find that place of confidence that the God who has made him is one who will stand with him. But we can also see from this that what God has made somehow deserves respect, it deserves honour. There is such a wonder to each and every person on this earth. A value to them that God was somehow part of that mysterious process of the formation of a human being. And he comes to this place where all these days were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, what, what can you take from that? Now, th- this is one of these places where we could almost draw the conclusion that everything that happens is just robotic. We're just going through pre-programmed uh, events and motions. I-, I don't actually think that that's what David is uh, alluding to here because, well, one of the things we've got to realize, God exists outside of time. So if he wants to document every single thing that's going to happen in any of our lives, it's not actually that hard for him to do that. What I think it does communicate is that the the God that David is reflecting on and pondering, and I think it's consistent with what he's reflecting and pondering on, is a God who cares enough about the people that he has made that he would document that stuff. You know, one of the things we do as parents, um, maybe not with every kid, once you've had several, you might not do this, but you do a baby book. And in this book, you would write the first steps, the milestones of this child. You might, if you want to, keep some hair and some teeth and other weird and wonderful things. First toenail, I don't know. Um, but, but we document this stuff. Does that, does that speak you, the word toenail? <laughs> We document this stuff. And why do we do it? We do it because we love that kid and because they matter. That's why we do it. And I think part of what we're seeing here is the same is true with God. Now, the, 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 the implications of that for how we live a life, let's not wrestle with that stuff because, well, the reality is you will hurt your head and you will not come to an answer because there are things that are revealed about God that we ourselves just don't have the, the, the process and power to draw all of that. But one of the things I think we can see from this is that there's a God who cares enough about the people that he has made that he will have And he he is interested enough in the lives of those people to have that stuff documented. I think we can definitely take that from what David is saying here. So what we have then is David reflecting on God and reflecting on what God has done and drawing some profound and powerful conclusions from that. And I want us to take these truths and these conclusions and begin to apply them a little bit. The first thing I want us to recognise is that this is a truth for all. I want to start with a question. It's a question you don't have to answer aloud, okay? How do we decide another person's value? What criteria do we have for that? How do we decide, let me make it first person, how do you decide another person's value? What are your criteria? What decide and define someone's worth? Because I think this is actually one of the most important questions that we can actually reflect on. Because what we use and the conclusions that we come to will decide how we think somebody else should be treated. What they deserve. Maybe even how we personally should treat that person. And might even give us the, the capability to allow specific groups of people to be demonised which makes it very easy for us to justify ways of seeing those groups persecuted. The culture that we live in actually has plenty to say and teach us in this regard. How do we categorise people's value or wealth? Well, money might be one way. If somebody is clearly loaded and has lots and lots of cash, they could be defined as successful and worthy of imitation. Intelligence might be another one. You might strongly—it's okay to strongly respect and admire people with intelligence, but what about people that aren't? Does that impact on how we see their worth? It could be career. It could be good deeds. People that are doing lots and lots of good works—that could define our value. It could be looks. How somebody appears to find somebody's value. Maybe we're not always awed and, 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 and respect and, and, and awe of people that look like a supermodel or like, I don't actually know the male equivalent. Is it still Brad Pitt? I'm not sure. It was him for a while. I'm not sure if that's changed or not. Chris Hemsworth. That, that might be the new one. Um, oh yeah, I know who he is. Yes. Yeah, that, that, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my point. Um Thor. Thor, That's right. But maybe on the flip side of that When we see somebody that's scruffy And, t- and b- leaking trainers Unkept Does that define their worth? They're like a person for who they are Yeah have nothing to do with it Exactly <laughs> And even with somebody's ugly They can be good at singing That is very true. The danger is that we ourselves as Christians, that we adopt these mentalities. And what we do when we do that is we press a mute button on Psalm 139 and we say actually what the scriptures are saying here, I'm not going to adopt that as part of my perspective of how I see other people. And we lose part of the distinctiveness the holiness that God wants us to reflect into the world that we live in. For we have something important to say here. Something that people will not hear anywhere else. That each and every person has worth and has value. And this is part of what the Bible is teaching us and wants us to live out in the world before us. You know, these verses, I think, are, are so powerful. And what I want to do now, Mike, if you could prep that video, is tweak the context a little. We've heard them read by Martin, and thank you, Martin, for doing this. I want us to hear them read again. Tweak the context and see what you make of this. See what happens when you change the context a little. And you allow those verses to speak in a slightly different way. It helps us to see that actually this is a truth for all, for everyone. I have to say I didn't know if I would play that video because it's a personal truth for me. That's good. All those years ago, not long after we first started here, when we began that journey with Jude, you know these verses, I'd read them, in fact I, as I told you I'd preached on them the very first sermon I ever preached on, they took on a very different meaning when I was given the news and my son was autistic. They made, or that made me begin to recognize and to challenge myself to redefine how I attribute value. Because I have to say, the capitalistic side would be one that maybe I would have defaulted to be it money or appearance, confidence. So many different attributes. And when that happens, you then are challenged and have to think wider. And that video, which was done by the Church of England, uh, from what I can recall, is one that takes all that and applies it very practically. How do we define as Christians the holy people of God the value of the people around us? And that's why I say these verses don't just speak into our culture. They must roar. They must roar so that people know regardless of who they are or where they are or what they are or how they are that they too are fearfully and wonderfully made. So to apply this, let us be a people giving value to those around us. As Christians, we should and we must stand firm for the value of all. We must be a discerning people that recognize those our culture might be teaching us to demonize and those that our culture might be teaching us to rip the humanity from. And we should be the people standing with them. And saying, no. For the Bible tells me, and I know, that they too are fearfully and wonderfully made. So who are the people in our culture, in our hearts, that we would say lack value? We need to challenge that because when we and we embrace those things. We, we, we step away from the radical truths of Scripture, and these are radical truths, and the amazing God it reveals as well, by the way. Because we're also not just not standing on what Scripture says, we're also hiding a huge aspect of who God is. God will reveal himself through us to those around us. And if we aren't distinctive, if we aren't holy, if we aren't showing any of this stuff then how are they going to find a God who values all because he is their God? How are they going to find that? We've masked it, we've hid it, because we've embraced something other. A God who is their maker, who is their sustainer, and ultimately a God who is a father, and he wants them to be their child and to know him as their father. These verses are powerful verses. So how do we apply them? What do we as Christians have to say to immigrants, to refugees? What do we as Christians have to say to the Muslims or to the drug addicts or to the marginalized, to those entangled in debt? How about we can say this to them? My God is your God. I know Him and He wants you to as well. You, much like me, are fearfully and wonderfully made. Can we say that instead? That value is a truth for all from those that our culture would categorize the least to those that would categorize the greatest and we are those called by God to reflect something different something distinct something powerful into the lives of those that we encounter but I don't just want to leave it there I want to drill this down a little bit because it's a truth for all but there's a truth for you this morning as well okay you sitting here this morning are fearfully and wonderfully made. I begin with the question, do you believe that? And if you don't, why? What are you allowing to speak into your life, which you're giving a greater volume to, than Scripture? The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do we let that come into us and define us as part of our value? Or do we let culture tell us instead? You, here this morning, are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we might be thinking the opposite this morning. But let's be clear, we are not worthless. We are not valueless. We are fearfully and wonderfully made and so much of what we begin to define ourselves is based on lies, it's based on vapour. Mike, can I get that second video, please? Now, this one just lasts a wee minute but it's quite a profound video of something that is such a defining aspect of how we can define. Welcome to the 21st century, folks. There's one of the things that so often we define value by. And yet, as you can see there so often, it is simply chasing lies. It's not real. It's manufactured. We have value. You have value. You are precious to God. And for those things that tell you otherwise, let Scripture challenge them. And for those people that will tell you otherwise, you need to ask some hard questions about who they are in your life, what role they play in your life and how much volume you'll let their voice have. You know, we live in a culture where so many are broken. So many feel worthless and feel useless. Almost like accidents waiting out their time. And it's not true. It's all a lie. Each of us has value and worth. We are all fearfully and wonderfully made and because of that, God sees you as valuable. The creator and the sustainer of all things sees each and every one of us as valuable. And we find that, I think, hard to take on board at times because, let's face it, at times we have pretty chronic weeks and we do X, Y and Z that we know we really shouldn't have done. That God might see us as anything but. But no, he's the one that made us. And yes, he doesn't want that stuff there, but it doesn't change the value that he places in each and every person. Because after all, he is the one that, as we looked into John at the very beginning of the service and says those famous words in 3.16, he's the one that saw each and every person as precious enough to die for. He has that level of worth and value for each of us this morning, so I encourage each of us take this on board, because there's many things that will try to knock our feeling of any form of self-worth away. There are many things that will try to knock any feeling of value or worth worthfulness, if that's a word, that is in us, um, seek to knock it out. But here is what Scripture says. Scripture says that the God who who created all things, who sustains all things, who is holy and sits on a throne in heaven where even angels are shielding their eyes and saying, holy, 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 I can't look at this God. He sees you as precious. He sees you as valuable. Take that on board. Hold that in here. And let that become evident to the people around you as well. Because this God who sees you is precious and valuable but will always be with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The, the, last week we looked at the fact that you could travel to the farthest star and the farthest planet and still the presence of God would be there. It's always with you. You are precious and you are valuable to Him. Precious and valuable enough that he would send his son and that he would make us his children in Jesus Christ. But it's not just for us. He wants us to manifest this into the world so other people can find this hope as well. So see others as fearfully and wonderfully made. But equally, see yourself as fearfully And wonderfully made as well. What I'd like us to do is to pray together for a little bit. Now what I'm going to do is just lead lead us through a a, a guided prayer with little bits of time for silence before we stand together and sing our closing song. Let's pray together. First, I want you to prayerfully ask God, how do you define your own value? Do you believe you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Talk to God about that. How do you define the value of others? Talk to God about that. I want us to pray now for a few people that we will meet this coming week that we know need to hear that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. In the presence of God. I want us to just simply pray for those that we know need that touch from God this morning. They need to know His love or need His leading and power in different situations. Can I ask especially that we pray that we remember in our prayers Sarah McRobbie and Ellis and, and Emily who lost David, uh, Graham's dad and also for Mary who was sadly mugged last night up in Fraserburgh. hear these words that we are fearfully and wonderfully made you know us completely lord you know whether these are words that we have taken on as an aspect as to who we are and how we see the world around us or whether there's just simply words that we can counter every now and then we pray father that they will be words that help us define how we see ourselves and those around us as well lord They would help us and empower us to be those holy people that you have set us apart and called us to be. much like Jesus, we will begin to recognize that, that those our culture seeks to cast aside still have that value and that worth. We pray, Father, lifting up to you the prayers of our hearts, lifting up to you the struggles and the burdens that we experienced this morning and ask that we would see you moving in mighty and powerful ways. We pray, Father, for those that need comforted at this time, that you would draw so close to them that there would be in no doubt who is with them this morning. We pray, Father, for the different situations and the fears and the anxieties that we are experiencing know your presence your power your guidance and your leading for those as well but we pray father that we as a church would be a people who reflect something of this distinctiveness this holiness that scripture calls us to into our town into our families into our workplaces and as we do so those questions would come why do we think that way and we can talk about our faith in you and what your word declares over this world. Father, we thank you that you are a faithful God, that we know you to be such. And we just pray and ask your blessing upon each of us this morning. And we ask that you hear our prayers and that you answer them in mighty and in powerful ways. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.